electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills coming up on fast. Boeing soaring sky high. But the chartmaster says this monster move could be telling the real story about where the market is headed. Carter Worth joins us in moments. Plus, zooming higher, we'll tell you about the big news out of China that sent Tesla shares into overdrive. And later, the general. General Mills, that is, is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea. Why Jeff Mills says this gaming stock is a total home run. But we start off with the reopening rally turning into a record run. The Nasdaq closing at a new all-time high for the first time since February. Meantime, the Dow is on its longest winning streak since September, and the S&P 500 now positive for the year. And this comes, of course, as all 50 states are now reopened in some form from the coronavirus shutdowns. And as cases are starting to rise and states reopen the longest, so does the market's resilience in spite of this prove that the rally has staying power? Guy. It's remarkable, isn't it? And, you know, again, a lot of people say this is pretty obvious. It was easy. It clearly wasn't easy for me, number one. And I'm not going to all of a sudden change course. I mean, I respect the price action. You have to absolutely respect it. But, you know, one thing I'll point out is this. You know, in March... There were a couple days where we saw what I deemed back then indiscriminate selling. And I said it was actually a good sign because maybe that would lead to some capitulation. And today wasn't indiscriminate buying to that magnitude. But you did see gold higher. You did see bonds (coughs) higher. You did see most stocks higher. And you obviously saw the VIX higher. So maybe we're getting close. Again, this thing was going to fade out at 2,800 in the S&P. We're 400 handles higher. Um, But you saw some things today, I think that should be uh, a little bit concerning. Uh, Dan Nathan, what would it take for you to become more constructive and to concede that the market has handed you this price action? You've missed uh, out on, on some of the upside here, and maybe it's time to join the party. Yeah, so I missed out on a lot of upside. I mean, I was fairly well convinced when Guy was talking about those levels of indiscriminate selling in late March. What did we have back then? We only really had the Fed. We had the monetary stimulus. We did not have the fiscal stimulus at that point. And we also had very little clarity on how this was going to affect the economy, despite the fact that much of it was being closed over that couple-week period of time. So you think back now, and we really had what, I don't know, people are just calling a straight line higher here. And there's still a lot that we don't know about the reopening. There's still a lot we don't know about the course of the virus and what it means for the economy. I think it's important to remember that we still have 20 million Americans that are unemployed, despite the fact that the Fed's balance sheet has gone from $4 trillion last fall to about seven and a quarter this, uh, at this point in the year. So to me, this is a liquidity thing. It's a sentiment thing. And, you know, the market's crawling a wall of worry. I'll just mention one last point. I mean, I, listen, I think we are going to have sustained unemployment for the balance of this year, probably around 10%, probably for a good part of 2021. You tell me what that does to corporate earnings. And you talk about valuations here. Maybe it's not 130 on the S&P. Maybe it's 140. Maybe it's 150. It's still really expensive. So I just think if you're like me and you're a loser and you missed out on this last month and a half or so, I don't think you get in right here. Jeff, your thoughts. 
I have to agree with a lot of what Dan said, honestly. You know, I, I think what we're seeing right now, and I talked about it on Friday, it's this surge off the bottom. You can look in so many different places around the world, whether it's German industrial production, China car sales, but I think there's a difference between that surge off the bottom and a clear path to pre-virus levels. It feels a lot to me like we were at a 10, we went to a two, and now everybody's cheering because we're up 100% and we're at a four, but we're not at <laughs> previous levels. Um, I think the prospect for additional stimulus is very important. I don't know whether some of these good data points is going to cause that to stall out in Congress a little bit. I think if it does, the market rate may react to that in a little bit of a negative way. But I think the fundamental picture really rests on a couple of things. It rests on making sure that we're continuing to ease credit distress and that we're able to preserve some level of consumption. And I think policy has done a good job of that so far, but I do think there are questions, as Dan said. You know, you have the 75% of unemployed right now labeled as temporary versus other estimates like the NBER saying 57%. So that range leaves a pretty widespread of outcomes there. And if you look at the most recent report, actually 300,000 more people were labeled permanently unemployed. So we're continuing to increase that permanent unemployed. Um, if you look at sectors like retail, restaurants, hospitality, it's gonna take a while for those sectors to come back from a jobs perspective. And I think even when they do, it's actually possible that you'll see consumption decelerate because the earned wages for those folks are actually less than what they're receiving in government benefits. So the consumption recovery might actually be a little bit front loaded. And the last thing I'll say is that fundamental picture is going to have an impact on market leadership. We've seen this broadening out or this rotation, if you want to call it that, into value cyclicals, so on. Um, and that's been really helping the market make the most recent advance. But if you look at forward EPS estimates for value, they continue to fall relative to growth, even though we're seeing this broadening out into cyclicals. So I don't know how long that's sustainable with the fundamental backdrop I'm describing. Um, so we'll see what happens. But to Dan's point, you know, when everybody's waiting for the market to drop, it usually doesn't. So maybe it just comes down to that for the time. Being. So is there any danger, Tim, in your view, to some of these value stocks, the ones that have lifted more recently compared to the growth stocks? Well, I mean, you know, I'm not so sure that the value stocks are the ones that are vulnerable. Um, I, you know, I think if you look at momentum and you look at growth, that's where I think we have the lofty, lofty PEs. I, I recognize that industrial names and, and cyclicals are, are going to be hurt. And we're going to talk about banks with Mike Mayo in a little bit. But you know, I think you have a case where you, you, you've got a lot of these value names that were beaten up well before the crisis. I mean, you know, FedEx and transports uh, had been in bear market for a year and a half going into this. So I, I think the expectations on EPS was set very, very low. And if you look at rotation in this market, transports, which are up 34 percent in three weeks, three weeks. This isn't Boeing. This isn't an airline. This is the entire transport sector. It's up 34% and it's outperformed the S&P by 15% during that time. Small caps for the last 56 days since March 18th have outperformed the S&P by 18%. Uh, if you look at all these sectors that people say are dead in the water, uh, one, I think this rotation isn't just an overnight thing. And two, uh, these are sectors that were suffering well into this. So uh, watch out for the Fed on, Fed on Wednesday. I don't hear enough chatter about that. And, you know, I hate we, we oversimplify and use these terms. But, but good news may be bad news for, for the Fed. And, the, and the, the White House or the administration was out there this morning talking about more fiscal uh, based upon June numbers. These are, these are things that are very, very important for this market here. Um, but, but again, they, they, what we're seeing in terms of the outperformance of some of these industrials and value over growth, um, I don't see why that can't continue, especially when you look at the relative performance, not only since this started, um, and I mean, so March 6th, March 5th, wherever we say we went into the real tailspin. But how about back the year and a half before that? Uh, and I think this is part of that catch up. Just just quickly, Tim, when you say good news 
could be bad news. We used to think that way before. But, I mean, unless you think a rate change is in play, how can good news be bad news at this point? I, look, the, the Fed has thrown everything they can. And, and uh, I know we all lean towards the Fed will overstay their welcome here. Um, but, but you can't tell me that a payroll number uh, and a jobs market, are, which are the two things that Fed, I, you know, whether they say this or not, are, are the things they focus on all the time. Um, we've got a lot of good news coming out of at least relative performance on jobs. Not good. These guys talked all about where employment may be. Um, markets effectively back to all time highs. Um, I don't think the Fed necessarily has to be as friendly as they were. And, and I think people need to be careful about that. All right. Our next guest says it may be time for this rally to take a rest. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity. Tony, great to have you with us. Hi, Mel. Thanks for having me. Um, what level of the market do you think is, is fair at this point? So typically when you break out of a trading range, if you remember, uh, we called it the frustration, frustration phase. Mm-hmm. And we were waiting for a break out of that to go into the tanks and banks, um, tank, tanks being industrials. Uh, when you break out of a trading range, typically technical analysis, Carter and all the guys would tell you that you take the spread of that range and add it to the breakout point, and that's your short-term target. So that would have been 31.50 because the market broke out at about 28.50, or I'm sorry, 29.50, and it was a 200-point range. So it exceeded a little bit, but to Tim's point and everybody else's, the, the move in some of these um, value sectors has really been extraordinary. For example, the BKX, since we upgraded to offense is up 31.9%. The industrial's up 20%. Equal weighted consumer discretionary up 21%. So, Mel, I, th- I think the real story here is that there's been two significant bull markets off the March low. There's been the stay-at-home bull market that carried the mega-cap stocks and dominated the 30%-plus performance off the low. And then that 60 Minutes interview by the Fed was extraordinary. And that is the pinpointed time where you saw this move back into the economic reopening bull market. So I think there's really been two bull markets that have kept the index going. Hey, Tony, great. I'm, gr- I'm glad you're with us. It's a good night for it. So obviously Stan Drunkenmiller, I think uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was May 12th or so, talked about the, the, the equities being the least favorable environment he's seen in his career. I'm paraphrasing. But today he basically came out and said he's humbled by it and he understands what's going on. You know, I, I feel that way as well, humbled. Um, but can this just continue based on the simplicity of money supply and dollar-for-dollar dollar move with the S&P 500? And maybe, you know, as much as I like to make this complicated, maybe it is that easy? Well, it, but again, Guy, it, it's been very different. So if you're, if you're in, you know, some of the big names like Microsoft, right, or even uh, Amazon or Google or some of those other names, they haven't really done a whole heck of a lot since that um, FOMC meeting on April 28th and 29th. It really, it really has been a pause in that space as, to everybody's point, you've seen this ramp in the cyclical spaces in the banks and tanks and, again, the equal weighted consumer names. So that it's really been two separate bull markets that have kept the index going. It's not the same stocks that just ramped and ramped and ramped and ramped. So I think that's a really important differentiator. And we found, like, for example, I'll give you, uh, you know, you guys all know me. I'm a data guy. The S&P 500 has been above the 50-day moving average um, more than 90% of the S&P 500 has been above the 50-day moving average. I think today is the 11th day. When I look back at the prior occurrences, it's not a tank. That never, that's, since 1990, that has never happened right before, um, right before you really go back into a bear market. It typically is 
closer to the beginning of a bull market, but it's also led to periods of consolidation. So, you know, our call has been that if, if you got if you went all all in on the economic reopening trade a couple of two three weeks ago, it's not such a bad idea to expect a little bit of consolidation here. Hey, hey Tony, it's Dan. Um, quick one for you. Okay, so the last time the S and P five hundred was here was the last week of February. At that point, um, you know, our country was starting to come to the realization of the economic disruption of this oncoming pandemic. Last year in 2019, the S&P 500 rallied 30%, but we had an earnings recession. Most strategists were expecting earnings to decline even this year in 2020. So we're back at these levels. We front loaded all that stimulus and assistance. We know that there's massive headwinds. What do you do with the S&P 500? Because I'm sure you were cautious back then at those highs. Yeah, it downgraded the market in January, and we're back to those levels of both euphoria, not euphoria, um, optimism in many cases, a lot of the put-call ratios, all those internal technical kind of sentiment gauges have gotten back there. And, you know, again, my, our call to get offensive, which, you know, I'm even taking a little bit of a pause here, that call to get offensive had nothing to do with the S&P 500. Dan, I have no idea. What do you pay for for infinity easing? I, I mean, is it... My multiple assumption is 20 times should it be 22, 24, 25. Guys like me can make these numbers up all day long. But, again, I think what I have to do is fall back to history and say, okay, what is the potent, What is the markets telling us when they get this broad? And to Guy's point, like I, I kind of felt scared a, a few weeks ago when we were upgrading, as, as Stan was saying, it's the you know <laughs> craziest market of all time. But the momentum is there. I think the momentum has probably played its course because, again, this, the second half of this rally off of that March low was in different stocks. So now you really have kind of two whole segments of the stock market that's had a hell of a run. And it may just be time again to go sideways versus bet down big or, or up big just for the next month or two. Tony, great to speak with you. Thanks for having me, Mel. Thanks so much. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. Um, Tim Seymour, I'll go to you. Uh, on Friday, we had a special uh, show at 6 o'clock called Fast Money 5. And in that yes, we show, did. we asked if the, if the market were a song, what would it be? And I wonder, given that the rally has extended itself <laughs> um, and we are at record levels on the NASDAQ, if you want to change your song selection. Oh, good point. So to remind our audience who weren't tuning in at six o'clock, which is a great time to tune into Fast Money every once in a while over the summer, I chose the clashes, should I stay or should I go? Uh, and I referenced if I stay, there will be trouble. And if I go, uh, it could be double. Um, and, and my point was, this is a market that a lot of people have missed. It's been a wall of worry. And, and you don't necessarily want to hang on here because we're all talking about fundamentals being challenged. But there's a lot of money managers that get fired when they're missing a bull market, especially after a massive bear market. Not being in the market is where people have a lot of problems. So, no, I wouldn't change at all. Obviously, you know, what we did on Friday was something I didn't think we could continue to do uh, even today just on a short term basis. It looks very overbought. Um, But that song, which isn't one of their best. But um, I think it still says a lot. <laughs> I think you got a lot of blowback on Twitter for the choice of that song. Because you're sort of, you're like, it's not the best song. But I, anyway, uh, Guy, I will go to you as well. Well, this the, is your... the Clash are a great band, and they've done better than that. But okay, let, all right, that's know, fair. Sorry. That's fair. I, I would uh, Guy, would you amend your song choice? I, I love my song choice. The Clash is the most overrated band of all time, in my opinion. 
And I won't amend it, but I'll add to it. Come you on. a Tom Petty fan? I know Tim is out of Jacksonville, you can't name Florida. Three songs. Is that correct, Tim? Well, I'll give you one. You Even the losers get lucky sometimes. There you go, Mel. What? I'm sorry. What was the song again? Oh, no, I Tom can't. Petty. Tom For Petty. good reason. Tom, Tom Petty. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll play it, it in the outro. Sure. Even the losers yep. get lucky sometimes. There you go. Ah, okay. We got to go. Tom Petty here. and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> Coming up, Boeing shares lifting off and lifting the Dow along with it. But has it come too far too fast? There you go, Tim. The chart master breaks down where the stock could be heading from here. Check out shares of Tesla posting a record close today. We'll tell you just what happened in China that electrified this rally. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Boeing taking flight on a big call from Seaport Global, the firm initiating coverage with a buy rating and a street high price target of 277. Seaport saying the worst is over and the stock is at an attractive level. Meantime, Goldman Sachs raised its price target on Boeing to 238 from 209. And if you haven't been paying attention, the stock is on pace for its best month ever. The chart master, though, says there's more to this rally than meets the eye. Cornerstone Macro's Carter Worth joins us now for the technical take. Hey, Carter. Hey, well, yeah, let's look at Boeing. But I thought uh, first just talk about is it really a value growth issue? Is it cyclical, non-cyclical? Or is it just money chasing beaten down names? It's an important concept. Take a look at the first chart. It's a comparative chart. And what we're looking at, of course, Boeing you see there, but I've compared it to American Airlines, to Royal Caribbean, and to Simon Properties. Now, the correlation's virtually 100%. One could say, oh, sure, of course, because Boeing and airlines and travel, Royal Caribbean. But I put Simon Property in there for a reason. I could have put a regional bank. Um, Boeing and Simon Property are in the S&P growth index. American and Royal Caribbean are in the value index. It's not about growth or value. It's just that a lot of stocks that have been left for dead are being played. It's a, it's a money flow issue. Now, compare the next chart I've put in the S&P. You can see this uh, very clearly. Is it because Boeing's growth or aluminum uh, or American Airlines is value or Royal Caribbean is value, is it? Uh, or Simon Property, the biggest read or once was, is growth. It's just that sometimes there's money flow, beaten down names. They were all down between 70 and 80% on the way down and they've ricocheted. I don't think it's specific to Boeing, but since Boeing is the topic of the day, let's look at a chart of Boeing. Here we have final chart, uh, a great winner that turned into a great loser. Of course, a massive wipeout a peak to trough decline of about 75%, and then this tremendous ricochet. So you, you heard today some price targets are being raised to the current price, right? 200 to 230, that's where it is trading. Others are 270. Um, the overhead supply comes into play around 280, and you can see there the range from which it broke down. So I do think it has a bit more to run, but I don't think it's specific to Boeing, despite what uh, one analyst or another analyst might think. I think it's really just about money going after certain securities at certain times. So what's the fallback level on Boeing specifically, Carter? 
meaning how far I think it, it can get to the 270 and even up to 290 before you really encounter overhead supply, that two years of trading from which it broke down. Interested sellers lie in wait up there. Carter, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Carter Worth. Thanks, uh, guys. Jeff Mills, do you want to go Boeing or, or just the broader notion of uh, money flowing into beaten down stocks? Well, you know what? Great minds think alike because in my notes, I almost had what Carter said exactly. And the point was that Boeing is caught up in this airline, cruise line reopening trade. And he talked about some of those correlations. I mean, the charts look identical. So I don't know how idiosyncratic this really is to Boeing. Maybe the momentum continues because of the technicals. I can see that. Um, but ultimately, I think the fundamentals are still challenged. Just to point to some of the correlations uh, regarding the charts that Carter just had up. I mean, Boeing to the S&P 500 is 0.42, so pretty low. But if you look at Boeing versus the Jets ETF we talked about last week, I think, again, virtually 100%. It's a 0.93 correlation. And then looking at Carnival Cruise Line, so something that's not even related to Boeing at all, has a 0.75 correlation. So th those are some of the numbers to go with that chart that Carter just put up. But I can understand why people are getting excited. You know, travel demand is returning. American Airlines said it's going to increase its capacity for July. So there's evidence that people are going to fly again. But to my point earlier in the show, is this about a return to normal or is this about a ricochet off the bottom in terms of activity? So if you look at TSA data as an example, um, passenger daily passenger travel is almost tripled from the low. But that tripling still leaves us 87 percent below where we were a year ago. So the big question is, you know, are these cash strapped airlines actually going to add to their fleets in a way that Boeing was expecting or that investors are expecting? And I think there's a major question there because there's still questions about business travel demand, international travel demand, so on and so forth. So sure. I'm still skeptical outside of this maybe near term momentum push. Tim, convince him as a shareholder in both Boeing and airlines. What do you say? Well, I, I, can't, I can't argue with the fact that Boeing's up 94% in 15 days. Delta's up 94% in 15 days. It's crazy. Uh, but I'll tell you, Boeing did a, billion, a $10 billion bond deal about a month ago. Their CDS, which is essentially a play on, on their credit exposure or the risk there, have tightened 150 basis points. They've outperformed GE, and you may say, so, so what? It trades wide of GE. It always has, or at least in this recent run. Um, they basically said they're going to be free cash flow positive by 2021. Um, the, the, the street actually has them being seven billion cash flow positive by 2021. And if you listen to what they're saying about guidance from their airline partners is that they're only scaling back about 18 percent over the next two years in terms of deliveries they would have taken. So this to me is really it's a credit story. Uh, it's a company that people were very, very concerned about the profile. They raised 10 billion. They have another 14 billion in revolver. They cut the dividend. It's a very different credit story if airlines are going back to doubling capacity in July, which is what he's talking about. So um, this was always about timeline for airlines. Uh, and therefore, it's about timeline for Boeing. And Boeing's raised a lot of capital. Uh, Sixty percent of their business is defense and global services. People forget that. Um, so that's why I'm long Boeing. Guy. 262, that gets you the, the basically the halfway mark from the all-time high in February of 19 to that $89 recent low. So I guess technically that makes sense. And I think that lines up with what Jeff and Carter are saying as well. All right, coming up, betting on the banks, the financials have been on fire. And top banking analyst Mike Mayo says the rally is just getting started. He'll break down his top picks. And later we are firing up for the firing up the grill, excuse me, for the sizzling stock. What's got beyond me going above and beyond today? Fast money's back in two. 
Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another strong showing for the banks in today's market rally. And the financials have been on fire. The financial spider ETF, the XLF, now at more than 12% over just the past week. Our next guest says this is an optimal time to be betting on the banks. Mike May is a senior bank analyst at Wells Fargo Securities. He joins us on the CNBC Newsline. Uh, Mike, always great to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Um, you cited green shoots in your note. You cited the uh, employment report on Friday. Also, you had a separate note citing some, some data on, on consumer credit and lending from the Fed as, as green shoots. But I'm wondering how sure you are that these shoots will actually blossom into plants, to use your metaphor, um, given the uncertainties in the, in the economy. Well, look, in no uncertain terms, we remain buyers of banks. We increased targets on every large cap bank that we covered last week. Uh, banks are among the, the leaders this quarter in terms of stock price performance, and we expect that to continue. Um, look, on the one hand, these are sobering times. I mean, unemployment is over 10%. There are bankruptcies. We still have loan losses increasing, you know, two to three times. It was earnings hell in the first quarter. It's probably earnings hell in the second quarter. But the way these banks are still priced, I mean, they're still priced like the, it's the global financial crisis, and that's a complete disconnect to the stock market as a whole, and, and frankly, it's a disconnect to what the, the bond market says about banks. The bond market says, you know, banks are as safe as the average corporation, whereas the stock market says, hey, they're in big trouble. So at the same time, you have these green shoots. You had the jobs report. Uh, you have new data from Friday night that shows um, consumer loans increased week over the week in the banking industry for the first time since January. Um, so you have that. Uh, you have less requests for loan deferrals. You're seeing pay downs of those uh, March uh, loans that were made by the banks. Consumer spending is improving. So what we'd say is it's less bad, less chance for the recovery to be, you know, an L, a W, a Nike swoosh, a backward check mark, or whatever you want to call it. There's less chance for that extreme tail risk. And at the same time, anyway, banks are resilient and are able to absorb the body blow and still grow book value, and still support the economy. The other bit of information in the Friday night report from the Fed is that banks have lent $700 billion of new loans. That's 7% growth in the banking industry's loans year to date. So this time, banks are not the problem, as they definitely were in the global financial crisis. This time, banks are part of the solution. 
Uh, hey, Mike, it's Dan. Um, quick question. You, you know, you seem to really love the money center banks, Citibank, Bank America, J.P. Morgan. You know, I find it interesting that they topped out the first week of January and they were obviously the hardest hit within um, the banking sector. Why is it that they really underperformed from their highs relative to, let's say, the investment banks like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley that are only about 12 percent off their Q1 highs? Look, you can't ignore the fact that the rate environment is still awful, okay? I mean, this is really bad, and so the money center banks have more loans than the pure play brokers like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. So that would explain that. Having said that, as we start seeing green shoots, as you start to recover, and as you go through this crisis period, you're really seeing the value of scale. Goliath is winning and Goliath is winning more than ever before during this crisis period. So compared to plain vanilla banks, you know, Citigroup, which is our top pick by far, uh, followed by Bank America and J.P. Morgan, you know, first they have half fee revenues. And by the way, capital markets are doing quite well, better than people expected, and far better than uh, implied in the Fed stress test. And the other thing is, and this is really exciting as a bank analyst, are the share gains of the largest banks, Due to technology, uh, retail customers have been jolted out of the bank branches and forced to use digital banking. This is the customer choice, but that's going exactly where bank strategic plans have been going. So in the last two months, you've accelerated the digital acceleration of the banks by like two to five years, and the best digital players are Bank America and J.P. Morgan, and actually Citigroup's moved up here recently, too. So just one quick follow-up, though, Mike. Is there a chance, though, that this lack of performance from the highs, I know they've done very well from the lows, suggests that the back half of 2020, though, might be a much tougher slog as it relates to capital markets, as it relates to bad debt, as it relates to um, just a whole host of things where they touch the economy in a much broader way than some of these other sectors that have come back right to their prior highs? Well, yes, yes, yes. I mean, we have loan losses increasing two to three times. We have capital markets falling off from the first quarter level. We have net interest margins under pressure. That's in our estimates. Even with that, we see these stocks with, you know, a decent upside of like, you know, one-fourth to one-third over the next year. Um, I, the, I think what the market's missing is this is not 2008. This is 2020 when you've had a decade of increase in capital capital's twice as much as it was before. You've had a decade of Fed stress tests. You have a lot more uh, liquidity than you had before. Um, I mean, this is, you know what it is? It's just recency bias. You know, investors act like the global financial crisis was yesterday, and they're giving banks back those valuations. So, yeah, they're priced like someone's going to blow up. Oh, by the way, you had a mini stress test in March, and look at the performance of Citigroup, Bank American, J.P. Morgan, and for that matter, even, you know, Goldman Sachs, too, and uh, Morgan Stanley. They all... excelled during that period um, and really being part of the solution this time. Mike, always great to uh, speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mike Mayo of Wells Fargo. Um, Guy Damia, I'll go to you on this. Your thoughts on the banks. Well, I mean, as, as bad as I've been broader market, one thing we've gotten right has been the banks. And, you know, when, when J.P. Morgan was in the 80s, the bull case we were trying to make is, look, you know, they just told you tangible book was $62. Uh, the right multiple in this environment is probably like 1.8, 1.85, and that gets you $115 stock. And lo and behold, basically, here we are. So 
I'm with Mike in terms of the banks not being the problem. You know, I've never suggested they were. They've had a big run, and my sense is they probably have some more room to the upside. So I'm with Mike Mayo on this one. All right, coming up, an investor's best friend. Why tails are wagging in the options market ahead of Chewy's earnings tomorrow. We'll break down the action. But first, the general is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea. Why Jeff Mills thinks this gaming stock is total royalty. Yes, that's a hint. He'll make his fast pitch when we return. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rallying today. But if you're looking for a way to play catch up, our Jeff Mills is stepping up to the plate with a fast pitch on one name that could be a game changer for your portfolio. Jeff, take it away. All right. Here it is. Ninety nine right down the inside corner. I know that this stock is up a ton, but I think DraftKings is definitely worth taking a look at here. I think for folks who are looking to get into this name, we can look at a chart in a little bit. But you're working on about a 10 to 12 percent pullback right now. So I think there's opportunity in a company that is some pretty good long term prospects. Now, sure, could there be a pullback? It's had a big run. Uh, of course, it's not necessarily the safest play in the world. But I think the company also has a lot of things going for it that over the long term, if near term volatility isn't your concern, it's definitely worth a look here. And the thesis really revolves around three elements. It's, it's the brand. There is sort of a virus dynamic going on here, I think. And then it does have some big gun backers that I wanted to talk about. So first of all, the brand. I mean, it's an incredibly recognizable brand in a space that, at least in my opinion, is growing and is going to continue to grow very quickly. So I think they're pretty well positioned to maintain the market share they have and to continue to grow market share as the space continues to expand. You know, fantasy sports, online betting on sports continue to grow at a double digit clip. So I think they're in a good space as it relates to that. And then I did think it was interesting. It's one of the top names added on Robinhood. So not necessarily that those accounts are driving the stock, but just in terms of brand recognition, that's a cohort on Robinhood that tends to be the target audience for something like DraftKings. So I think that is evidence of brand recognition there, just the fact that so many people on Robinhood want to own the name. Um, in terms of the virus dynamic, you know, Live sports probably coming back sooner than later. We're hearing about the NBA and others are probably soon to follow, but it's not necessarily clear that we're going to have fans in the stand. So I think there could be this spending redirect associated with DraftKings here where people say, you know, you know what, I'm not going to be able to buy a ticket. I can't go to the game, um, but I'll bet on the game instead. So I think that could be an introduction to a different audience and potentially an audience that ends up being somewhat sticky. So another uh, possible propellant there to growth uh, and then also some of the big name backers that I mentioned. You have the likes of, you know, Disney, Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft. The list goes on. And although that's not directly correlated um, with with um, legalizing it on the state level, I do think that's going to come. California, Texas, Florida, New York. These are states with huge populations that have yet to legalize. Um, so I think all of those could be potential catalysts. All right, time for questions. And Tim has one. Tim. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. So I, I agree with this whole secular story. I, I guess my concern is that this was an, you know, the only game in town during a period when uh, it, you know, there, there wasn't a lot to focus on while people are staying at home. And, and I guess so my question is, I, I wonder about where's the moat? I, I, there's so much competition in the space. Yeah, they may be out there first, but this valuation, what protects them from from the competition? Yeah, it's a good question. And at this valuation, I think it, it's a very fair question. But I do think part of the brand recognition is there. And I think that can propel it at, 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 as others come into the space. And you mentioned scarcity, but I'm thinking of scarcity on kind of the other other side of it. 
And at least for some time, they're really the only pure play in the space. So right now, if you want exposure to the growth in online sports betting and the like, this is really the only place for you to go. I understand the valuation could be a challenge here, but I think all of the things I'm talking about in combination and the brand recognition that it always has, I mean, there is a first mover advantage oftentimes, and I think DraftKings may have it here. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Jeff's pitch on DraftKings? Um, Guy, I know we don't have the blackboard things, um, but Guy, how do you vote? (laughs) Can you read that, Mel? I don't know if you can read that, but it says don't Don't know, know, never never gambled. gambled. And if you look at that, what is that? D, right? See what I did there? Uh But I'll say this. I'll say this. I might not know, but Canaccord does because they just raised their price target to 50 and they've actually been spot on in the space. So although you played the sad trombone, I'm going to be with Jeff Mills on this one. So <laughs> whatever that has to do, give that music. Oh, all right. So you're a buyer. Tim, what do you say? Sad trombone. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say I, I'm going to cast my hand in on this one. I, I think it's an interesting story. I hate the valuation. I think there's been a lot of short covering. Dan. Yeah, so here's the thing. I thought that was a great, um, great presentation. I, I love the story. I like Jason Robbins. I like the potential for state with big budget for uh, shortfalls to legalize gambling. These guys are well set up. I think you buy it on any pullback here. I, I'm with Tim on the valuation. It's part of a stock market mania that has nothing to do with them right now. You may have a really good opportunity to buy this in the high 20s sometimes very soon. All right, two buys and uh, a pass in our panel. Now it's your turn out there. Are you buying Jeff's pitch on DraftKings? You can vote in our Twitter poll, so go there now at CNBC Fast Money. Coming up, Tesla shares charging higher. You won't believe what is juicing the move now. The details when uh, Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla revving higher on strong sales numbers out of China. The electric vehicle maker selling more than 11,000 Model 3 cars in China during the month of May, and that is triple the amount sold in April. Today's rally sending the stock to a record close. So is an even bigger turnaround in store for Tesla. Guy, what do you say? Well, listen, again, this is one that I clearly... Haven't figured out, but I said it a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. You know, that interview with Joe Kernan back in January from Davos, if you go back and listen to it, really says something in retrospect that, you know, he feels he being Elon Musk has tremendous air cover and the stock has acted in kind. So very difficult to bet against this. I have no idea how expensive the options are, but every time you bet against this, it's been wrong. So path of least resistance, like probably the broader market continues to be higher. Dan? I think it's uninvestable at these levels. And, you know, his point about the air cover with the Trump administration, I'm not so sure that plays well for Chinese auto sales. Um, You know, I I mean, to me, this one makes no sense. Again, I'm with Guy. I mean, I know you guys all think we're a bunch of dummies, but things don't have to make sense and you don't have to buy them either because (laughs) this is probably one of the dumbest stories I've ever seen in my 25 years in the stock market. Let's make this easy. Show of hands. Who thinks Tesla is a pass? Pass on Tesla. Not going to touch it. Show of hands. Raise your hands if you think Tesla's not worth it. Keep them up. All four of you guys. Who thinks Tesla is a pass down $300? Okay. If it would go down $300, you pass. You don't know. 
Oh, so you no, don't even know. My arm's going to get tired. Okay. No, I'll, I'll, play head, your, I'll play your reindeer game. My arm's going to get tired. I know, I know. Okay, play, okay, rest. Rest your arms. Rest your arms, Jeff Mills and, and Tim Seymour. But, Guy, you, you, you hesitated. And I asked that question because I'm wondering, you know, obviously everything has a price, and, and there's always a buyer at a certain price, and would you be that buyer down 300 How much do you think this stock is overvalued is basically what that gets at. I yeah, no, and I think that's fair. I mean, the, the real tell if, amongst many, but the one that really stuck out to me was when Elon Musk tweeted, I'm paraphrasing, that you know, the stock was uh, expensive or overvalued or something to those extents. And it would let, that downturn lasted a day. So, I mean, that really tells you all you need to know at this point. So, again, it's very difficult. But, again, it just seems as though the path of least resistance continues to be higher and the people that have been long the stock have been right. Good for them. Dan. Yeah, this thing trades like they're about to buy SpaceX with their stock. I mean, to be very, very honest with you, if you look at how that stock traded when they launched that rocket and into it and out of it, I mean, there's some stuff going on here. I just can't get my arms around. I, obviously, this is a battle, battleground stock. But, you know, if they bought SpaceX, the stock probably doubles. And, you know, so I just... I'm out of it. I have no idea what to do with this thing. I mean, what's interesting is you watch some of the so-called competitors, which are, of course, much smaller players, but in this general space, Neo, Nikola, and they're also moving in a way that is, um, let's just say, off the charts, Tim. Yeah, it, it, look, the, the EV story is, is showing a lot of resilience. And, and look, I've, I've also highlighted the competitive landscape, but, but, but who really knows? I, I think you get to, there's a couple other dynamics that I would add. Uh, I, I still think those last quarter numbers were not very good. They lost money. Um, they sold EV credits um, to, 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 to goose up the profits. I mean, you know, I don't think those numbers were that great. Uh, short interest has gone from 25 percent of free float to eight and a half. So there's been, of course, wicked short covering. You know, I, I think um, I, I think that number certainly would be would scare me as a long because that may not rest in fundamentals, although I think the, the bears think it does. So, um, yeah, I, I the valuation to me, you know, down 500 doesn't make sense. So right. that, that's where I sit, and I think people know that. Coming up, who is a good boy? Options traders are pointing to Chewy. Should you fetch this name for your portfolio? We'll dig into that trade next. Plus, thinking of planning a post-pandemic road trip this summer, Kramer's jumping into the driver's seat, chatting with the CEO of RV manufacturer, Thord Industries. Don't miss that interview coming up top of the hour in Mad Money. In the meantime, much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The consumer trade is on the comeback, but the consumer's best friend trade is on fire. Online pet supply retailer Chewy is up 70 percent this year. When the stock reports earnings tomorrow, options traders are betting the results will have investors wagging their tails. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we saw calls outpace puts by about three to one in Chewy today. And right now the options market's implying some pretty big moves by week's end after their report earnings, moves of about 13%, higher or lower, but most of the bets were that that was going to be higher. We saw a lot of weekly calls trading. One of the ones that I was looking at was the 50 strike calls. Those were trading for about $3.20. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that it's going to finish the week above that $50 strike price by at least the $3.20 that they paid. But arguably, you would only do that trade if you thought that the implied move, that more than 13% move, would be to the upside. So after a very strong, more than 100% rally off the bottom, some options traders seem to think that the rally could continue. Dan, you're a pet owner. What do you think of Chewy? <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, Mike kind of nailed it. I mean, we're seeing this sort of price action in so many different names that have had great momentum where valuation is a stretch and you're seeing just upside call buying. And that's why you're seeing these put call ratios kind of getting blown out, getting to kind of concern levels. But it also speaks to the fact defining your risk in speculative names in a market that feels speculative also makes sense. The main rule in, in trading is let your profits run, right? And, and kind of uh, and cut your losses there. So this is one way to do it. All right. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, shares of Beyond Meat sizzling higher today. What's behind this rally? Should you sink your teeth into the stock? You got that trade ahead. Plus, time is running out. Get your voice heard. Vote. Are you buying Jeff's fast pitch on DraftKings? Go to our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. The big reveal. We come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Beyond Meat soaring in today's trade as the plant-based meat company continues to expand in China, inking a deal with a large food distribution company. This comes after its recent deals with Starbucks in China as well as Yum China. Uh, Jeff Mills, this is good news. I mean, this food distributor goes to retail like grocery stores, hospitality as well. So really a a broad swath uh, across China. Yeah, look, it's good news. I mean, all of their big customers right now are in the U.S. I think like 80 percent of their revenue comes from the U.S. Their only big non-U.S. customers, Tesco in the U.K. So I think they need international expansion to justify the valuation where it is right now. So some of these partnerships with Starbucks and others to get them exposure is is really important. I, you know, I didn't like the stock a long time ago, so um, I certainly don't like it now. I just think that the momentum could maybe carry it higher, but it's not necessarily something that we would buy. Guy? Well, as you know, Melissa, when we did the show at the NASDAQ in New York City's Times Square, we had a taste test uh, on the Beyond Meat. And I said it was actually very good. Obviously, as you also know, things weren't that rosy a few hours later. With that said, a couple weeks ago, a month or so ago, when the stock had a 90 handle, I said, I'm not a fan of the product, but I love the stock. And here we are. So I I hear what Jeff is saying, but I still think this sucker can go higher despite my GI issues. That is really TMI. I mean, <laughs> for you to actually go to say GI, yeah. in, G, GI problems, I mean, to actually specify what the pro- Dan Nathan, what do you make of the stock? This is the perfect stock in this market. I mean, we think about it. It's got high short interest. It's trading at high valuation levels. It seems like the higher valuation, the better the opportunity for the short squeeze, especially when you have announcements like this. Let's be frank. The opportunity in a place like China is massive. So, you know, can you buy it on fundamentals? You can buy it on growth and growth at a very high valuation. All right. Let's find out uh, if Jeff's fast pitch won the hearts of our viewers tonight. The fast pitch on DraftKings, of course. And a total home run in your debut pitch. Nice job, General. 54% of Fast Money fans agree that DraftKings is a buy. And as you know, a winner and the viewers that get graced with time of your life. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Jeff, you're a winner. Kick it off with you. All right, I'll double down, DraftKings. I'll reiterate that California, Texas, Florida, New York, once they legalize, I think there's a lot of growth there. DraftKings. Tim. It's nice he's having the time of his life. We haven't had that in a long time. Good job, Jeff. Uh, Brazil, resources trade is kicking it. Uh, Weaker dollar, all the resources company. That means Brazil and the currency, EWZ. Dan. You know, Mel, my song Friday was Everlong by the Food Fighters. I'm changing it to these days. One of these days, the ground's going to move below your feet. I think you want to get defensive. Go with Costco here, defensive. Guy Dami. 
Uh, President Trump's tweet about Twitter was a mere bump in the road. Stay with TWTR, Mel. All right. That does it for us. Thanks so much for watching and for voting in the poll. Mad Money with the one and only Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.